He's got his little martini or something. It's just wine, but I just—I I was just saying we've only got silly glasses because all, all of ours get smashed by our like marauding <laughs> sons, and then we're a bit clumsy. It's very clumsy. <laughs> well, I do want to say if there's a war, KB, you can come bring all the kids and stay at my house. Anyway, uh, welcome back for thoughts and prayers. Thank you Hi. so much. Lovely to be back with you both. Lovely to see you. If you didn't hear, in case we cut out that early part, we have KB from Ball Earth Propaganda back with us today. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah, excited to have you back, KB. It's been a minute. Always a pleasure, fellas. Always a pleasure. A and I have seen it. This won't come out till next week, but A and I have seen a lot of each other in the last 24 hours because we recorded last night, too. I so. do. <laughs> not, not too much tension, I hope. <laughs> no. No, <laughs> never too much Q in my life. We do. I was thinking the other day how, at least for a month now, primarily we've been talking in the chat in our pod, and then of course in the chat, which I won't say the name of because I like keeping the chat name secret. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, of course. I was like, all our interactions mostly are uh, <laughs> in our alternate world, our metaverse, cinema based, semi professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. Well, we were talking about before you came on a, I was, well, I don't know. I mean, we don't have to talk about it that much, but there was just a strike on a hospital in Gaza that killed 800 people. And now oh, wow. already Twitter is being flooded with the false flag. Uh, it was Hamas who did it purposefully <laughs> stuff. And we were just kind of like, I mean, it's awful. Of course. I mean, I'm going to pray for those people tonight. It's terrible. It's tons of kids. If I wouldn't get on Twitter, if you're sensitive at all to seeing stuff like that. But um, we were just saying the left will immediately em- uh, embrace a false flag conspiracy when theory. It, when it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the left, like, if you use it in a more specific sense, it's very pro-Palestine generally, right? Like, well, I guess I'm using the left to mean, like, mainstream Democrats. Mainstream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see, we're used to amalgamating them because they typically have a completely combined point of view but palestine is one of those israel palestine is one of those weird issues that does divide from them like in general the left are fiercely pro-palestine yeah that's what i was just saying yesterday was like that it's kind of it's kind of funny to watch some of these libs like react to it because they almost don't know like which side is the good side you know, same as but... same as uh, over here on the far right, of course. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially cute. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of confusion about uh, about it, isn't there? A lot of uh, a lot of discord and uh, a sort of schizophrenic kind of uh, uh, yeah. positioning of people. Well, I've 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 been open about my confusion, and <laughs> so I don't really know what the stance is, but I do feel like I've been convinced by you guys primarily that Israel is the evil one. But I was talking to a good friend of the pod. I guess I won't say the name just in case this isn't like public, but about her like a stance on being super pro Israel. And she was like, Oh, I just hate Muslims. Um, (laughs) And I'm realizing that's, I'm realizing that's like kind of a lot of the rights thing is they just hate, they just, they just do. They hate Muslims, you know? 
Yeah, definitely. I was thinking, what, what are those charts where you've got two lines intersecting and then everything appears on like dots across the chart and you'll have two, so you've got like two axes, which you call I know them. what you're talking about, yeah. And I would like to make one of those and the, the parallel one would be um, schizophrenic to, you know, completely non-schizophrenic and then the middle one would be... Um, anti-Semitic at the top and racist <laughs> at the bottom. And I think I think you could capture our entire world just on various little marks on the page, you know. Yeah, I, I was sympathetic to her viewpoint because I think like my instinct as a gay man, I, I, like my initial just impulse, I'm not saying I believe this, I'm just talking about my id or whatever, is that, well, like, which country would I rather live in? And I'd rather live in Israel than Palestine, like, just for, you know, not getting thrown off a roof reasons. Um, but I then I realized that's a really superficial, and they want me to, they want me to be conditioned to think that, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, so, it's sort of like a conditioning. I mean, that, I'd rather live in Israel than Palestine too. I don't know if that puts me on, the, on their well, side. Yeah, it also yeah. Just looks like a, and also, I know this is Israel's fault, but it's like it Palestine's like, a shithole, regardless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it looks, it looks like it sucks. But I mean, I know Israel did that to them, but it's you like Gaza. Have to be gay, Q, you'll be too busy like, dodging, dodging uh, Israeli snipers. It looks worse than the Bronx. <laughs> it does. You know? It looks a lot like the Bronx, like in the 70s. It, does look, it actually doesn't yeah. look too far. The street life doesn't look too far off from the Bronx. But uh, anyway, we don't have to do, I just, we'll see. It's just interesting how people will embrace conspiracy theories that fit there, you know. Well, it, it just makes no on... sense that Hamas would do a false flag. I mean, they have so much to lose from this conflict. Like Israel is obviously in the better position to just wipe them off the map. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it is really funny about how, as you say, you like how the mainstream has like gone. Okay, we're we're adamantly against conspiracy theories, but we could use this whole false flag thing. You know, this could be really useful. Like uh, they did I mean... it with, um, uh, they did it with. Do you remember in the build-up to the Ukrainian quote-unquote invasion, um, there was lots of talk about uh, that Russia were planning a false flag to precipitate a war. Yeah. No, even like, I think, you know, it's even like Biden or someone had mumbled about it. or something. You know, it was, it was front and center. They always it's accuse so, the enemy of doing what they're doing. <laughs> it's, so, it's so crazy to me because it's, it's basically like, if, if, if one minute after 9-11 happened, I was already on Twitter saying inside job. That's like kind of what's happening on Twitter right now. With regards to like, the people saying Hamas bomb the hospital. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a minute later, they're saying inside job. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, and then with your Ukrainian example, it's like before uh, yeah. even happened, saying, oh, there might be a 9-11 type event coming up. Everyone. Even as a rabid conspiracy theorist, I like to give it half a day. You know, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it'd be one thing if it, it, it made sense, but it just doesn't. Like, I, it, to me, it's much more likely that the attack on Israel or whatever was a false flag run by Israel than Definitely. like um, Hamas stand, has nothing to gain by. They're already constantly getting bombed by israel and shit like why do they need to have a false flag um yeah i mean it's the <laughs> the israeli thing already seems super weird but you're not allowed to talk about that people get really mad yeah. i've noticed but it's like 
a music festival, like one mile to a couple miles from Gaza. It's like the whole thing. And then like, I, we were already talking about this last night, but it'll be a week for the listeners. Like all these international people are hostages, German citizens, French citizens, U.S. citizens. It's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. it's weird. I mean, you know, I, I, I couldn't be more skeptical of a country than I am of Israel. Like I find it so, uh, such a kind of like, um, surreptitious like underhand country in the way it manipulates things to its advantage you know it's uh it's remarkable really but uh it, it couldn't nothing could happen there but i wouldn't be instantly skeptical of you know well i just want to say one thing is that hamas unlike israel has or palestinians or whatever have no problem produce because i just saw an awful picture that i wish i could unsee they can easily produce pictures of dead kids. And right. somehow, somehow we're a week and a half out and Israel can't put a single picture up of a dead kid. And I'm just kind of like, I don't get it. What's the, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. All we have is, all we have is the Ben Shapiro. Everyone who said, you know, there were no beheadings of babies. Here's a random dead kid. But it's AI. Like, it's like, uh, and everyone keeps, I know, but, they keep there's already there's already flooded pictures of these dead kids already from this yeah, hospital. Right, yeah, that's an interesting point of contrast. Yeah, and then all these people survived in the kibbutzes or whatever you call them, the kibbutzim, but like they they didn't take any pictures because like Palestinians immediately start taking pictures and posting it, you know. And they've got nowhere to charge their phones, you know. Exactly. Um, they um, <laughs> they uh, um. I, I suppose the one contrast you could make, like let's say they were both false flags, is like Hamas actually kills its own people and Israel just gets a bunch of actors and puts about a bunch of bullshit, you know? So kind of uh, Israel is in the postmodern false flag age and Hamas is uh, still operating in the 20th century or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, well, KB, if you and your family need to hide, you guys can. Or you could do like, what did the British do during World War II? You can send the kids here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did we send them to America? <laughs> we do that often. I wonder. I we thought you just went down in the tube. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not awfully near Israel. Like, um, this is... It, no, I mean, this is... been kicking off with Putin. And he was literally, like, threatening to nuke London or something. Like, that was a bit, a bit scary. Like, small S. But uh, this is... Uh, this feels a bit more distant. But you never know, eh? Things could uh, catch fire. Yeah, well, I think the real issue is going to be whatever the the refugee situation. Yeah, yeah. we're getting we're getting all those Palestinians in like my borough of London. Like it's going to be two <laughs> two million geezers just trying to sell drugs. Yeah, little little is little. I said little Islam. That's so much <laughs> little little Palestine. Um, do you have a country house like in the now I'm doing like now I'm doing like British fantasy novel country you, house <laughs> yes it's very do you have a family member in the country that you can send the kids out to like secret garden style or whatever where they can well, be if they as, as 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 you know I have a, a mother on a Welsh mountainside so there's my there's but my she's already full up with Ukrainians, Ukrainians isn't it exactly yeah. <laughs> the fucking Ukrainian refugees she brought the war right home uh, exactly there you go. Well, we're here to talk about Clockwork Orange. We can we don't have to speculate about uh, what's happening with this because I'm sure there'll be plenty of that. Um, I I didn't like it, <laughs> so I'll just stop. 
you didn't like it. Go on. How, how, how so? Well, I was showed it in college, as I said, when we talked previously. And then I didn't like it then, but I barely remembered it. So then I watched it again now. Um, I obviously like Stanley Kubrick. I love Eyes Wide Shut. But I just told A earlier, and this is like shallow, but it's true. It just feels like a boy movie to me. Mm, that's a fair, that sounds a fair comment. Um, what do you think, A? You watched it the first time, right? Yeah, it was my. I had seen, you know, of course, like clips and things, you know, and I, I was yeah, generally sure. familiar with the premise. But yeah, no, it was the first time, and I, I, I liked it. I mean, obviously, it was disturbing. Like, it's not like a, like a feel good romp, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Um, it's not. I like, I like disturbing. I just, I don't know. Anyway, you finish. Sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah, I mean, um, but I, I thought it was just, um. I mean, very interesting. I don't know. I mean, yeah, um, especially like, well, I, I really want to hear KB's thoughts, but um, yeah, like I, I liked, I mean, I again, I it's not like I like it, like I want this to happen, but I think it's sort of an interesting like social commentary, what their this sort of vision of the the future is that they mm-hmm. have, where it's just sort of like, I don't know. It's like sort of basically kind of normal, but there's also just like weird roving bands of teens who go around like robbing and raping people for fun. I don't know. <laughs> so, How would you define it as a boy film? Okay. Well, so I watched at Asso's recommendation, like the Black Coat's Daughter, where all the main characters are these Catholic schoolgirls, which is an incredibly disturbing film. There's like beheadings and weird shit and there's weird sex stuff in that too. Um, But I just, I guess just the boy film is like the kind of rowdy, rambunctious, like, it om- I guess part of what I'm judging it on is like remembering guys from college who loved it. And I sort of feel like, they see kind of a like they see the main guy as a hero or of some kind and sort of like he's like untethered from his <laughs> i don't know like he's kind of doing bronze age right he's like I running around say, he's so he, this is a, this is the bat bat the movie i think yeah yeah he's like he's he's untethered from his morals he's just like with the boys doing boy shit <laughs> i don't know i mean adventures I, yeah, yeah 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 raping and that's pillaging right. in, in, the, in the best sense yeah yeah literally raping and pillaging i mean i just and I, it's a crutch of mine that i just relate to female main characters more i mean that's just mm. uh, your average gay man does that's what, that's just what, what did you think of the aesthetic of the film I that think, was cool yeah pretty i think it's pretty incredible i think um oh christ uh um Fellini, I think, called it a visionary, the visionary film of the seventies. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful, of course, and it reminded me of the old Suspiria from the seventies. Um, these other like visually stunning films. I can't think of anything that looks like it, really. You know, like looks. Yeah. As, it's like it's a completely unique vision. So yeah. I, I agree. Uh, yeah. That is 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 amazing. Yeah, yeah. I like I think their little outfits that they use to go on their <laughs> ultraviolet outings yeah, where it's like a weird, man. almost like jock strap or like a diaper or something. And then 
the like eye makeup and the he puts on like the long like kind of phallic nose. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't realize how much of pop culture that I know of is like like they mentioned Adrenochrome. They mentioned Ultraviolence, a literal Lana Del Rey album name. When did they mention just... Adrenochrome, sorry? In the movie. Yeah, I missed that too. And the, in the group, 600 times as of today. So. I thought in the crew of a milk bar, he says we're having milk plus with adrenochrome. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. I thought he said that. And then they, then they mentioned ultraviolence and I was like, oh my God, it's a Lana Del Rey album. And then they mentioned Karuva and I remembered like this coffee shop called Karuva and I was like, oh, all these pop culture references are coming from this, you know, film. Yeah, yeah. I think- I'm, Which I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot. No, yeah, it's true. Um, I think it's one of those movies like uh, it's it's so weird. Do you find like with a lot of films that you like love for most, you saw them in your teens for the first time and they've just sort of stuck. Like I, I don't I don't necessarily think it's just a question of like long term affection so much as like you just, cinema is just one of those things you often catch like the best stuff when you're a teenager. I think my, my friend's brother had it on uh, on cassette on VHS. Like recorded from the TV and we watched it like, you know, once a fortnight for four years kind of thing, getting stoned. But I think it's a, I, I think don't it's you a, think you love, sorry, go, I just, cause I don't, you think you just love things in a way you can't quite love them as an adult anymore. I think it's, I think that's feasible, like, but at the same time, like, uh, you know, I, 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 I used to see a lot of stuff I thought was shit, you know, and I would still think it's shit. Do you know what I mean? I'm pretty sure if I saw, saw it for the first time this week or something, I'd be, I'd be compelled by it. But, um, yeah, I just mean there's something about that teenage young adult, like a, a consumption of art. You're like forming yeah, your identity. Yeah, yeah, that's something that, that, can, sure. that can be very uh, the stuff you love. Then I do think you'll always kind of love. There's nothing I loved at, at, at 17. I don't still love now. But I think I think I think contemporary art in your teens, you're very susceptible to. You know, and you can build an affection for that goes beyond its quality. But I think when you encounter stuff that's older, like uh, you know, as a teenager in the late nineties, and this is a movie from like nineteen seventy, I think, or even nineteen sixty nine. Like it's it's incredibly seventy one. I thought is it it's definitely. 70. I'll look it up. Oh, I have a quick. Sorry, I can't remember. Are you nineteen seventy one? You're quite quite right. You know, um, nonetheless, damn old movie. All things considered, I mean, it's ahead, ahead of its. Uh, you say ahead of its time, but when did its time even come? You know, what, what other films <laughs> are there like? I, I think if you, um, I think if you were to like bury me with like ten of my favorite things, I think A Clockwork Orange would have to be one of them. You know, but uh, yeah. what do you love about it so much? Uh, well, I, you know, and I, to add to that, I happened to one of the first adult books I read was uh, A Clockwork Orange, the, the novel mm. based on Anthony mm -hmm. Verges. And it's all the kind of funny quasi-Russian slang they speak throughout the movie is like the whole book is written first person, I believe, in that in that style. And it, it's so dense, you have to kind of pick it, like the, the lingo is so dense, you have to kind of pick it up and learn it as you go, which is quite fun. Mm. Um, but I think I was like 12 or something, and I read this book, and I remember really, really vividly. <laughs> I haven't looked again at it. But I just re remember the experience of reading it really, really well. And then um, I went to visit um, a family member in near San Francisco when I was like uh, 15. And um, I don't know, early, earlier, sort of 13 or something. <clears throat> and the film was still banned in the UK because Stanley Kubrick pulled it from distribution because he was living here and he thought there was going to be some weird blowback. It's all a bit obscure. And... Um, and, but it was available there. And when I went there, I, I went to the video store and I got it out and watched it for the first time. 
my family members house so I have this like very long relationship to the to the story um and then I've, I've watched it again and again and again down the years and um so I I think I think the film I like have a grand theory about the film right and uh I think it's about um um the introduction of like Judeo and Judeo-Christian morality like into the soul of, of man like I think that's what it that's what it dramatizes I don't know if that's so much in the original book I think that's what Kubrick takes and lays out in the film right so um basically when Alex has his uh, Ludvigo treatment um and they're kind of injecting him with a transparent serum and they're showing him all of these uh, these images of violence and things he 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 is the subject that becomes um uh i would say infected but um with 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 christian morality like he internalizes guilt he internalizes um uh compassion and and it kind of he turns it in upon himself you know it becomes like a thing that's inside him that constrains his actions and i i i i, I don't think of it as being an infection but i think uh kubrick described himself variously as a, as a social Darwinian. And I think it's easy to see like the influence of Nietzsche in the film and in, in the kind of um, moral historicism that Kubrick kind of lays out in the film. And I think that's why you can see so much of like BAP in it, right? Like these are, you know, like um, BAP is very derivative of Nietzsche. Um, but like, where, whereas Nietzsche was kind of Nietzsche was kind of interested in left wing morality and slave morality in its modern form as well in its contemporary form, but Nietzsche was like more focused on uh, Christianity as the source of that than Bab. Whereas Bab just talks about like this generalized, um, <clears throat> like um, moral victim kind of mentality that's everywhere, right? And I think um, you know, you what what Kubrick seems to be saying is that like. Um, Alex is made sick by the doctors. Alex is made sick by society when they try and cure him, when they try and make him moral. And I think he see, he he presents a picture of like a humanity or of civilization in which like moralism is a kind of sickness that's escaped and kind of uh, weakened everything and weakened everyone. The only truly healthy people in the film are like the droogs at the beginning of the film. I think like they're the, what Nietzsche called the blonde beast. And I think like, Bap's whole idealized vision of like marauding, adventuring, homoerotic young men is kind of like completely realized in their little troop. But uh, hmm. I could uh, wang on for forever about this uh, theory. Interesting. So, so you think that he that he really is celebrating the like idea of ultra violence or like the the lifestyle that they're leading at the beginning of the book. So I think that um, I think that he's um, I don't think Kubrick's celebrating it per se. I think Kubrick has the eye of somebody who's like infected with this general weakness, yeah, this general squeamishness. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think he's celebrating what they do, but I think he's he's got a picture of man where the natural state, the pure, the, is also the purest state, and it and that happens to be its expression. You know, and in order to make man civilized, all these very elaborate mechanisms of like guilt and punishment and threat need to be kind of like laid upon him, like socialized into him in order to um, facilitate like um, civilized collective existence, you know, in order to, to make like normal life possible. So I think he sort of sees it as like a necessary 
evil perhaps you know like that which is to say like morality is a kind of necessary evil and socialization as a necessary evil but at the same time i think you know and i do think there's something celebratory and kind of like uh, exhilarating about the portrait of alex and his friends right like some of the stuff they do is where it's more distinctly cruel like it's it's obviously provoking your disgust and your moral disgust and your compassion but there's other scenes which surround it which seem conversely kind of quite healthy and enjoyable like the fight with the other gang right like it's a it's a, it's a kind of jubilant fight scene um mm-hmm. the scene where he's the, the consensual sex t- scene the yeah, threesome right, right. is hilarious exactly exactly yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You, you're kind of like god this guy's like a badass he's just like yeah, yeah, you know yeah. he's a dog like, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah he's like a cool <laughs> kid picks up these hot chicks and like and it was, i kept cracking up how he like re keeps undressing them <laughs> They keep, yeah. they keep they keep getting back dressed and then he's like no 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 and it's like you do i was watching that and i definitely thought of that and i definitely thought of like male virility or whatever i'm like this is like the virile male and it, it, <laughs> you know his love of um music right like uh and when he his comes back music. his night of uh home invasion and, and, and rape and things and he puts on beethoven and he's obviously very high from his Morocco plus and he goes into a complete kind of reverie and you see all the images of disgusting violence in his head. Um, but he's kind of like, uh, he's also uh, responding um, uh, passionately to like classical music. Do you know what I mean? There's a, there's a note of like sensibility in him there and a, a, of like almost kind of a perfect vision of like self-indulgence or something. Like, uh, 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 I, I, um, I think you're, yeah, you know, and they have a lot of style and a lot of elan. I mean, he does at least, you know. Um, he certainly does, I think, Alex. He, you know, the way he goes. I think Malcolm McDowell, who played him, said something like, uh, well, at least Alex doesn't go around, like, feeling sorry for himself. You know, he might be a bastard, but at least he uh, he enjoys life, you know, and he, he emits a certain, like, uh, you know, joie de vivre, you know, which is charming, you know. So I think you are presented with a vision of someone who, where that 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 note of, like, intense evil malice and cruelty as a component of this overall picture of somebody who is like just completely absorbed by their life you know absorbed by the, the their, their existence is, is 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 construed or presented as maybe a necessary evil or as just a sort of you know a, a different kind of symptom of, uh, of of health perverse health you know i agree i think it's celebratory at the beginning i read it that way I mean, yeah, I don't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't sure about that because it's, I mean, it's so disturbing. I mean, right. Mm-hmm. Like watching it, like, and especially, I mean, of course, in the, the scene where he like, um, like murders that woman, you know, is um, kind of taking it, I, you know, I guess he, that wasn't his like intention, but still he like put himself in that situation where, it was a possible out, likely. Out care, yeah, I mean, he 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 gang yeah. he gang raped somebody three seasons yeah. before. You know, he's not like you know. Yeah. You can't. Well, you know, he wouldn't do this. You know, I think I think he uh-huh. you know, whether he kills a black accent is completely academic. But there's um, <laughs> but so 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 this is another reason I love the film so much. This is a really important dimension to it, which is its analysis of um the viewer. Like, and I I can't pretend to like fully understand what it's doing, but I just see in rewatching it the sort of um, the the levels in which it addresses the dynamic between you as a viewer of the movie, um, the whole um, as somebody who is 
shocked and appalled. I mean, even just watching it the other day for the 600th time, I, you know, I found the, um, the scene with the writer and his wife really, really horrible mm-hmm. and disturbing. Mm-hmm. Right. And you see the, um, that amazing shot where they, uh, they, they put tape over the writer's mouth and you see his eyes really, really wide on what's going to happen to his wife right in front of him. And of course that's um, the way his eyes are kind of bulging with horror and he can't not look at it is um is then replicated in that scene when Alex famously has his eyes mm. pinned open, you know. And I think there's a there's a there's an implicit parallelism between the the weakness they're instilling in Alex through what he's viewing on the on the on the in the pictures they're showing him, which is of course just for films, you know, it's a, it's a film within a film almost that they're watching. You know, he's seeing Droogs kill and rape and things on the big screen, right? In a in a, in a cinema, and um, and how the the guy is kind of compelled to watch this scene of like cruelty in his home, and then with you again, the viewer at home, yeah. kind of compelled and watching this movie, you know. And and I think the 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 the, the power of stories as um as an instrument of socialization, as, a, as an instrument of something that makes you um, imbibe like Christian or, or, or um, derivatively Christian kind of social morality um, is, is another big kind of part of its sort of texture as a movie. Like it's saying like, um, we, we, we learn our weakness and our moral code through watching films, you know what I mean? And through being told stories about victims again and again and again. And it's, of course, a film that's a story in a very perverse way about a victim, the victim being Alex, and who is who has perverted himself through cinema, effectively, you know. That's what's happening to him in the Ludvico treatment, you know. But uh, Interesting. I also, I did, I did, you mentioned this too, but, like, I definitely noticed the central, like, role of the classical music, which I also thought was interesting and compared to 2001 a space odyssey where he also uses a lot of classical music and it was somewhat like a similar kind of vibe where like i mean on the one hand like it's like um maybe like you're saying almost like a nietzschean like hyper kind of evolved like purse human who's um I mean, in 2001, it was like, seemed like it was kind of supposed to evoke like how like sort of civilized the people were or something. Um, And then here it's like, I mean, he's not, he's not civilized, I guess, in that same way. But like, um, I guess if you are viewing him as some kind of like just unrestrained um, kind of ubermensch or something you know um but yeah i don't know like what if you had any thoughts about like why like what why what does the music mean like the beethoven stuff like why is that such a central part of the story well it's it's in the book is a probably an important detail but like its presence in the film i mean i suppose i took it to to imply that um the source of art is also the source of savagery, you know, like, and, and, and that's how it's, I think it's presented, 
in the film, which, but of course, it's 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 a, it's a very funny incongruity, right? Like we can recognize in kind of groups of marauding teens, kind of completely absorbed by like a kind of nihilist nihilism and fashion and music. We can we can recognize a type of modern young person, you know, um, mm-hmm. but uh, that that's existed, uh, you know, from the films, from when the film was made, I suppose, but. Um, of course, it's funny that they listen. It's funny to us that they listen to classical music rather than like grime music or something, isn't it? You know, like <laughs> some, something completely redundant and amelodic and repetitive. You know, they have this kind of incredibly uh, sens- sensitive ears, but or at least Alex does. But um, and there's some surprise at that, right? Like some of the bourgeois people he encounters in the film are like, "Oh, you like music?" You know, they're they're, surpri- they're, they're sort of struck by it as well. It, it seems incongruous to them similar to like when when they're in the in the milk bar and he sees the the kind of posh people from the opera and one of them sings you know there, there's a sense of like class difference and that he almost isn't expected to like music per se but um the fact that he does and that he's presented in such a positive light i think i think does suggest that like i i think kubrick does imply that art derives from that which is most untamed untamed in us or something or sensibility does you know it's, it's sensibility is like sensuous, like, and, and violence is also sensuous in the movie. I think. As well. Yeah. I was just think. Sorry, I just uh, got accused of smoking in here, which I'm not doing. Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I. Uh, what was I saying? Um, I. Uh, I I I felt a weird listening. To, I like listening to you. I honestly could listen to you all day talk about this. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be bored. But I I guess I I relate. It's interesting to hear what A is saying because it's the type of thing that would usually be very disturbing to me. I usually cannot watch a film with any sort of rape or sexual assault scene. It really bothers me. Um, I famously made my friend turn off um, Irreversible. If the listeners have ever seen it. Um, I was like, I, I literally like screamed at her and was like, I will not watch the rest of this. And she had to go home and watch it with her boyfriend. <laughs> she was like, <laughs> she was like, I need to, I need to see what happens. I'm too pussy for Irreversible too. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even get to the rape in Irreversible. I yeah, just yeah, got it past too much for me. The build up was too much. Damn it. Yeah. The guy, the guy getting his head bashed in at the top. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was like, fuck this. This is disgusting. This is a disgusting film. And I remember I talked about it for like years afterwards. I was like, it's a disgusting film and it should be banned. Like I, that was my visceral reaction to it. Um, and, I, and I didn't even see the famous like 16 minute rape scene that they said that, <laughs> yeah. that, that the actress and actor said they could only do one shot. They can only do one take of because it was too upsetting for them or whatever, um, which I, I imagine it would be. Um, but I um this this did not give me that feeling, and I I which is weird because I'm usually I usually and I think part of it is the kind of campiness of all of it. I do I did feel like it kind of had a campy element to it, like all the word the weird little slang they're saying and like the way it's very stylized. Yeah. I kind of felt yeah. like I kind of like that took me out of like the real brutality of it. Um, obviously, I understand it was a brutal scene. Um, but um, yeah, and but I also felt a weird kind of like alliance with the meraining with like the meraining youths because I sort of like the way they like 
presented, it's like these stuffy rich people in their house. And then these kind of like youths are coming in and they're sort of like, they are sort of full of like vim and vigor. And it's like a very confusing feeling because you're like, they're doing horrific things, but you do kind of feel, I felt a little bit on their side. Like I found the main character charming and I found them funny and I liked their mannerisms. And like, you kind of do feel weirdly like a little bit on their side, even though they're doing these awful things. And I d- and then again, I've sided with him when he's getting all the treatments. I'm like, I'm not on the side of these weird hospital people. You know what I mean? So I don't know. The movie does position the viewer in a weird way because you're not, you're not immediately in a, like a condemning place of this character. I wanted him to like win, whatever that meant. Mm, yeah, you definitely you know? want him to win because he's he's placed in the hero role, <laughs> isn't he? You know, he can't you can't help it. Like it's this his central figure in uh, placement in the story. Like uh, it's his art. Yeah, it, you know, like uh, yeah, it puts you with him, and it's interesting because most movies about this the, the, this type of level of brutality you would see the aftermath of the home invasion. You would see like the kind of the victim's perspective, but you're kind of with him. Well, what it does is the first half is him as, um, him as anti-hero who's, who's victimizing others where you're sort of, um, you're both, uh, you're compelled, but you're also kind of repulsed, you know, and you're, you're trapped in these kind of two feelings about him. And then the second half, he's, he's, a victim, like he's a systematic victim, a, a series of people from his own family onwards take advantage of him, reject him, rob him, beat him, punish him, torture him, try and kill him. And, you know, some of it's all sort of, um, uh, they're all people he's done things to, but nonetheless, like you're just seeing this person sort of s- systematically victimized through the second half of the film. And there you're both sort of sympathetic to him, but also like kind of disgusted by him. Like there's something kind of really pathetic about him in the second half of the film, his inability to not not only his inability to fight back, but the fact he like belches and vomits <laughs> when he even tries to, you know. And you're just watching this guy get dragged through the mud. But I, I think he's also, um, yeah, as I as I said earlier, I think he's um he's a he's a figure of Christ in the movie in that second half. Like he, you know, he he is um Christ and um um uh you know uh, carrying the cross what's for what's for word for the crucifixion a nice term for the crucifixion but um oh, i forget the term. i just call it the crucifixion the crucifixion <laughs> would be fine. um and um uh and he is um his his passion i i guess one is one word for it but oh yeah the passion. He, he is you know you even see him i noticed on the last viewing that he he's arguably baptized at one point you know when uh, his his old druids put him in the the tub of water and bang the uh, side with the truncheons and they kind of drown him. That's like kind of a figure of baptism, I think. And when he sits down to uh, eat the dinner and drink the poison wine, that's a kind of communion. You know, he has uh, the bread and wine with the, uh, the food and wine with uh, the writer and the writer's weird, uh, like, lodger. And um, and uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is, uh, so you see, I, 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 I think there's a lot of Christian imagery and Christian uh, and ideas about Christianity in the movie. So when he's first in prison and he's trying to suck up to the pastor and he's trying to get some kind of early release for good behavior or trying mm-hmm. to play the system in some way, he's, he's reading the Bible 
and he's, he pictures himself specifically during the crucifixion um, as, a, as a Roman soldier who's, who's flagellating Christ, right? Like he, he imagine, he's reading the story and rather, an ima- rather than imagining himself as Christ, which I think most of us do, he's imagining himself as a centurion and he's enjoying the feeling of victimizing him. And, um, and then after he has the treatment, there's this part where the, 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 the same pastor, he, he, he stands up and he objects to the, um, the way they've conditioned Alex to, 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 to respond to temptation. He says he's no longer like a free person. The only, re- the only, the only reason he's not um, raping or, or fighting back is because of the threat of pain, of physical pain. Well, the same pastor between those two points is talking about hell to the prison congregation. And he just goes on this long, this long sermon, bit Joycean, about you'll burn in eternity and da-da-da-da-da. You know, the, the implication being that the, the only way Christianity has been able, arguably, to uh, make us internalize ideas of guilt is, is itself with the threat of pain. But it's a threat of pain we carry inside ourselves, right? It's, a, it's, 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 an, ima- it's an imagined positive pain in an afterlife, you know, rather than the eye for the, an eye for an eye, rather than like punishment in your day, in your life, in your society. It's something we kind of uh, suddenly internalize and, and, and turn into a kind of neuroses. And um, well, I think it's, sorry, finish your thought, but then I have to. No, no, I have, that, yeah, I have, so that's, that's, that's kind of a... I want to to both of you because... I think maybe part of the reason I just thought of this, but I think it's true is like part of the reason maybe I am on his side is he's very childlike. And you think about how children are sort of Mm. amoral. You know what I mean? Children are kind of amoral. Like all they want is what they want. And you have to kind of, you know, continually teach them like, no, you don't hit your brother because that hurts or, you know what I mean? And you're, you're kind of like as a parent, constantly and and maybe you know whatever other roles in kids lives you're constantly redirecting them uh away from this impulse um and i i think that that's maybe why i found them so endearing in the beginning is because they almost are like these grown children they have none of that stuff that we place on children i think for good reason but we we do have to place it on them because kids are kind of amoral you know yeah we tell them we tell them stories no i just read read my kids a story uh, before they went to bed and i couldn't help but notice it's very kind of like moral you know uh, <laughs> yeah message you know and and like um but uh and children are very of course prelapsarian you no know? they're like uh, they're like adam and eve you know they don't know good and evil you know so I, you know i wonder if there's something parallelism there you know if you don't know good and evil you're not necessarily good you might be a you might be a complete beast but if you don't know it they do, you know they do have violent they, they do have violent impulses they can't really hurt anyone but they you know kids like pull babies you know little kids pull hair and push and you know they do have these like kind of urges to be Bite. there's Bite. a biting epidemic <laughs> anyway that was just a thought i had while you were talking so uh another sort of idea i had about the movie watching it this time was um so my fitness feelings he he talks a lot about gerard right um you guys done the my fitness feelings reading list have you did you look at gerard i haven't done the whole reading list no i mean i've read like the gerard like wikipedia page (laughs) 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's a start. But like, I, I, <laughs> he, I think he's a writer who, like, from what I looked at, he just kind of he has a one very he has a very very good idea. He might have a load more, but in this the book I read, um, one extremely good idea that he just repeats and repeats and repeats and repeats. Um, so I, I didn't even finish the book, but I took I, I I liked the idea a lot, which is he says that um, prior to Christ, you had uh, the, the the myth of the scapegoat is like and the sacrificial victim is 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 the recurring motif in like ancient mythology and even ancient history. Like that, there's always a point where societies become so kind of riven with hostility and discord that they have to all single out uh, either like a um, like a minority or an individual and sort of sacrifice them collectively and in sacrificing them they feel this great sense of like release of all their malice uh, and uh, and they just kind of uh, they breathe more freely again you know but they've gone and killed somebody right and and obviously the the um the Jews uh, enacted this by literally sacrificing an animal for the sins of the community. Um, and I think the reason I, I first saw my fitness feelings talking about it was during uh, COVID when uh, he was saying that the unvaxxed minority was basically, um, um, was was becoming like a scapegoat for all of the, 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 the sort of uh, disquiet created by the quote-unquote pandemic, you know? But then what, what Girard says is that this process of like singling somebody out and sacrificing them was uh, fundamentally like undermined and transmuted by the, the the myth or reality, as you prefer, of Christ, the story of Christ, where some this happens to to somebody, but rather than it being a kind of like a, a celebration of a process, the process reveals itself. Uh, it, it, it basically like um in, in by revealing the victim as as god in this in this story at the end of it like basically the whole world had to or everybody who encountered the story or the effect of the story had to kind of recalibrate their sense of what they were doing when they persecuted somebody when they singled somebody out when they tortured somebody there was suddenly the the, the, the idea that, that God was on the side of or embodied by or literally, in this case, uh, an incarnation of the victim and that this kind of general tendency of humanity towards just like um, unstinting, unreflective cruelty was was only undermined by, uh, by, by the Christ myth and, uh, and to some extent by the kind of Judeo myths. But um, again, I think that's, that's basically like Nietzsche's take as well. But uh, only it just depends whether you see that as a as a good thing or a bad thing or a necessary thing or a divine thing, but like that as a sort of fundamental event in the humanity's moral history. And I think that I think that's what the film is about. It's my theory. But yeah, and so I mean, I definitely see the kind of well, definitely like the commentary on on Christianity, like you said, like the idea of. Um, well, he's not doing it of his own free will. He's only doing it. He's only good because he's, you know, will experience like physical consequences if he's not. And then showing the pastor talking about hell. But um, at the same time, I mean, isn't that sort of a central part of Christianity is that like God gave people free will and that you know, you have to, you have to choose to, you know. 
I mean, I, that I, is that, biblically that's true. That is in the Bible that He so loved you that He gave you. You know, it's not a forced thing. Free free will is central is central to Christianity. You, you the Christianity believes in free will. Mm-hmm. Obviously, not all religions do. Some religions believe in fate, but Christianity explicitly does believe that people make. Mm-hmm. And so that to me, it's kind of like undermines that. Like if the only reason you're not going around raping, murdering people is because you're going to get an upset stomach, you know? Well, that's what, that's what the priest says. But think about what you say, mm-hmm. like an upset stomach, like we associate the stomach with our emotions, right? Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the way he's, what do you feel if you, if you watch something like, if you watch for, um, Irreversible, mm-hmm. what you get a physical sensation, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you, you're, you're repelled by the idea of what you're going to see and it makes you feel sick. Like that's a pretty mm-hmm. common physiological response. Like I think he, he's picking his physiological symptoms so that they're kind of like connected to, they're, they're almost indistinguishable from emotional reactions. But, um, I, you know, and I, I think that um, obviously Christianity does us a, a world of free will. And I'm not, I'm not I, should, I should make it clear, I'm not taking like Kubrick's part. I just think that this is, how he's presenting the world or mm-hmm. like the moral universe. And, mm-hmm. um, but um, there's, it's a kind of Reddit atheist point, but the idea that um, Christianity says, yes, you're free to choose. And then says, but if you choose wrong, you'll <laughs> burn in hell for all eternity. Do you know what I mean? it, it, it's a, it is itself a physical threat. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it doesn't encourage moral choice on its own terms. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it also, um, pulls out this kind of um, um, uh, this kind of uh, torture machinery, but it's a torture machinery that it places in your imagination. You know, like um, um, if you, society obviously always punished criminals, but it would do so like there and then, you know, it would, it would torture them or something in the square or hang them, whatever it was. But with Christianity, the, the idea of punishment is something you, it, it tells you to internalize. And so I suppose you're, your freedom of moral action becomes uh, arguably a bit compromised by that threat, you know? But if you, I mean, I guess I'm just like, again, just going with A's like critique of your critique, which is all we're doing. We're just sort of riffing. But if you don't in Christianity, if you don't truly repent, you're not forgiven. You can't just, Mm. you can't just do bad and then say you're sorry and not feel it internally. You're supposed, which is kind of what you're saying too, KB. Like you have to internalize your wrongdoing, and that's the only way to really get forgiven by God or whatever. It's not just like a carte blanche forgiveness, you know. Agreed, agreed. No, and I think I think that is a Reddit because it, it's too simplistic, you know. All right, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I agree with you, but I think that that critique, but I think it's there in the film, but I think it's too simplistic and understand, uh, you know, I think the very fact that it posits something that might happen, that you have to have faith to believe happens, that isn't, you know, demonstrable, is itself a kind of freedom, you know? Like, uh, if, if, you, if, if the thing that compels somebody to act is, you know, necessarily an imaginary consequence, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, we have, to, we have to separate, all of us are talking about what the film is stating, not well, what we, like, believe, <laughs> you know? But yeah, I agree the film is arguing or at least positing that the only way to be, you know, do good or whatever is, is through a sort of punishment kind of 
I don't know, praxis. Uh, this is also kind of reminding me of something I listened to your um, talk about. I think it was the brothers Karamazov on um, Rare Candy for their gain of fiction thing. Yeah. And yeah. something you said that I thought was interesting was um, that like God gave humanity free will but you know there's sort of this like list of things that you're supposed to do that are that are good right and like he could have just god could have just made everyone like blindly obey and just like live life doing these good things but instead he he gave us free will so then it's almost like the only way that you can exercise your free will is by doing by sinning by like doing bad things right yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and that, that was you know i think you know uh, actually it's really funny yeah yeah that's like uh i hadn't thought of the fact that i mean if you could also bury me with 10 things you know brothers karamazov would be there and this it's the same theme effectively but from a like a radically different perspective like uh they're very interested in the same things i suppose Kubrick in this film and Dostoevsky more generally, but um, yeah, they they take uh, they take a completely uh, obverse position almost on the phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, and so, but yeah, it's like um, I almost don't know, like what what do you take away from that realization that, like, I don't know, like like exercising your freedom so to speak is like doing bad things like what does that mm. mean <laughs> um yeah, yeah um <laughs> oh god i i think i think the way i think personally like i think it's a, they're, they're amazing themes right but i think personally i think people like i, I don't feel like i'm a like in, i'm not in any way like a materialist or and so you, t you tend to associate determinism of any sort with materialism, right? Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the idea that we're all just cells bouncing into each other and the mind is just, you know, a, a physical entity effectively that gives the illusion of freedom. Um, uh, I just want to quickly insert yeah. here that the New York Times just uh, did a whole interview with a scientist that posits that, um, and it was one of the most <laughs> it was one of the most bullshit things I've ever read. But basically, he was like he released some book called The Case Against Free Will, and basically the Times does like a glowing review of this guy, and it's like no one's at fault for anything. We shouldn't even <laughs> put anyone in jail or anything like that. Right, anyway, just, just give him the Ludvico treatment, you know, like as a consequence. Um, and his I, argument, just really quickly, just like because it was so yeah, yeah, no, very. Yeah. No very New York crimes. Um, his argument was like, well, everyone is influenced by all sorts of factors throughout their life. And like, that's what causes them to make decisions. And I'm like, that to me doesn't mean free will does not exist. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you still, of course, you're influenced by all sorts of things. But I still, I don't know. I just thought that that idea that influence means you're not making choices is so stupid. Of course, we're influenced all the time. All Everything that's led up to this moment is, is influences us. But that's a retarded rebuttal to free will to me. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so Dostoevsky in 1870s, when Brothers Karamazov was released, um, he literally uh, has a passage in the book where he says, um, you know, in the, do you realize what the, uh, the implications of what was then like a burgeoning materialism are? Like they're eventually going to turn on the mind 
and they're going to find that the brain itself, uh, the soul per se, is just a sort of uh, a bunch of cells interacting. And it, this whole philosophy will eventually permeate our understanding of ourselves. And, and you know, I, it's funny that the New York Times celebrating this book um, because uh, the idea has been around for a while, do you know what I mean? Like uh, in various forms. But, um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was going to say that um, personally, like, so I don't, I, I, I kind of, I, on the one hand, I'm not a materialist at all, but on the other hand, like I, I don't know if I, I do buy too well the idea of um, freely taken moral decisions. And I think there's even the argument of um, within Christianity itself, no, like it's a kind of one of those paradoxical elements of uh, of Christianity that sort of destabilize or make ambiguous a lot of the other stuff, which is this idea of grace, you know, the idea of predetermination, you know. That you were you were because you know God is omnipotent. Um, you you were written in the book of life before you were born. You know your 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 salvation is preassured. It, it already exists. And um, there's there's that phrase. I don't, I don't know enough about it, but I think that really depends on like which Christian denomination. It, like, it, it, it absolutely does. No, but, but, yeah. whether that's emphasized or embraced, but even even the um, the de- denominations which have a very fatalistic. Uh, view of salvation you know which is a kind of extreme protestantism traditionally right they're still basing that on elements of the bible which are kind of uh which are ambiguous right like which suggest which suggest that there's that phrase that always sticks in my head uh, god made um i can't remember where it is it's in the old testament um god made vessels of vessels of rage vessels of wrath you know like God had every, you know, God made some and, and what it implies is the idea of it, is it god made some people to be bad you know, God made some people to be sacrilegious. God, you know, once you have an omnipotent God, you know, there's not how much, what does freedom really mean in that, in that like context? You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, of course. But then it's complicated because like there's biblical stories of like the prodigal, you know, the famous one, like the prodigal son of even the son who, returns after committing all the sins is accepted by the father or whatever mm. you know what i mean yeah. so there is this like there is this like but yeah i guess if you believe god is all powerful and omnipotent <laughs> you know <laughs> where do you get to that you know yeah, yeah. omniscient it is it, is, it is true i mean i hate this is like the stuff that i like it hurts my brain to talk about but i should talk about it because it's probably going to help me not have alzheimer's when i'm older but yeah it's like yeah, if he if he already knows the outcome, how can you? It's a little hard to argue, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's there's a there's like there's there's paradoxical elements to the idea, but of course, like repentance and salvation are huge, huge currents in in. Yeah, but like I've seen, I've heard, I've heard Christians. I mean, I guess it's like, yeah, it's interesting because it's like I've heard Christians say like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer's probably in heaven because he like famously. Oh, oh. <laughs> So did he, what did he, 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 he had a public conversion, did he? I didn't know that. He had a public prison conversion, yeah. Oh, did he? That's, uh, that's nice. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> why not? Why not? I mean, according to the, according to the creed, right? Like, uh, why not? You know. Um, yeah, according, if his, if his conversion was sincere and was coupled with a true grief, I mean, this is where I think that, like, maybe he wouldn't be, is because I doubt, he doesn't seem like someone who, was capable of feeling like guilt but then again that's like god made him like that maybe right? they I mean, showed him some movies in, in the can you know <laughs> but um uh 
uh, well, my, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, and my vicar, he says when when he says that, well, you know, the difference between like a, a Jeffrey Dahmer and uh, and a URI, you know, you or me, um, it might seem very vast from our perspective, but from the pers- I mean, he didn't literally cite Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm just pulling him in for the convenience, right? But uh, from the, from the perspective of God, like the difference is one of like uh, of, of millimeters, you know. Like, uh, like uh, from the the, the, the uh, omnipotent eye, you know, we're we're all fallen, and that which we've fallen into is kind of uh, all consuming, you know, to the extent that uh, the seeming, the seemingly kind of staggering differences of moral action are uh, are rendered quite quite small and relative. You know. <laughs> I don't like that, but I mean, no, it's, no, yeah, yeah, understandably, you know, yeah, yeah. he's saying that, you know, that makes sense that they yeah. would argue that. He's got a, I mean, he's he's kind of got to sell the faith a little bit, right? So if you turn up, to I'd him, like, I'd like to think that me and everyone I know is very far from a Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yes, understandably, understandably, that's from my that's from my uh, very human, you know, perspective on the world. Sure, sure, yeah. Well, can't argue with that. I'm sure you are. <laughs> what do you guys, both of you, have read more about uh, Stanley Kubrick than I have? Why, why is he so conspiracy you know, coded? Uh, yeah, yeah. Why is he so conspiracy coded? I was going to ask the exact same question. Great. Um, so yeah. I'm asking it. Why is he so conspiracy coded? What well, do you think? Yeah, and so I wanted to. I, I like. I, I want KB's take on this because I don't. I don't really know what. But I feel like KB will have some insight. But yeah, like, I don't know if you listened to our 9-11 episode, but like me and Poolhouse yeah, were talking about 2001 and all yeah, the like yeah, kind yeah, of 9-11 like symbolism yeah. in there. And uh, and then you also have, um, you know, obviously Eyes Wide Shut is like super like occult, yeah. satanic elites, whatever, you know. And then you also have his connections with like the moon landing and meeting with NASA and stuff. Um, so yeah, what what and is you your could take add to it? You that? could add to it just for the sake of it. Even even if you go to Doctor Strange, love, there's that weird mention of fluoride. You know, mm. like it's just it's just everywhere you look. Even even the um or let's say the uh, the, the the film poster for Clockwork Orange with the one pulled staring eye. You know, like mm, it is, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. kind of symbolism, and then people were like, "Oh, the clockwork orange is the sun, and there's some you know, sun worship there." I mean, you know, I don't know about that, but um, and uh, even with like uh, Doctor Strange Love, like people talk about that, like it's very critical of like the deep state or the war machine and this and that, but at the yeah. same time, it's also like really kind of building up this like threat of nuclear annihilation which was basically one of the main control systems used in the 20th the latter half of the 20th century um, to keep people in line kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah no I mean he's very I mean you know and that you can find in clockwork orange you know it's um it's a picture of a uh, trauma-based mind control isn't it I mean that's that's literally what it dramatizes you know it I mm-hmm. arguably does it in a slightly paradoxical way because it, it, it takes these Nietzschean arguably takes these Nietzschean perspectives on it but 
it presents you with like a, a vision of the, the corrupting or um, uh, insinuating or purposeful effect of television of, of movies like they're, they're presented as as, as um, instruments of control and manipulation and you've got the 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 the, the kind of medical establishment as they're presented in a clockwork orange, just kind of experimenting on him. And almost this like um kind of benign seeming um uh or benign presenting um authoritarianism. You know, when he when he goes from the prison into the prison hospital for his treatment and everybody goes from like get in get in line, prisoner four two one sort of thing to like oh hello sit in sit down we'll bring you bring you some soup kind of thing uh there's a sense of like uh, the way that medics when they have a certain degree of power can be just as kind of over in in a really different way can be just as sort of overbearingly totalitarian as, as prison wardens you know and that seemed pretty relevant interesting yeah like well. the almost yeah, foreshadowing like, the biomedical yeah the bio, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Uh, long-winded way when i wanted to go yeah. mm-hmm. and uh but uh but I, yeah, in terms of like why and where it comes from, like I have taken, like, like I did, you know, done some Wikipedia reading. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, it, it, it's pretty, it's pretty hard to say. Like, you come, you come up pretty empty-handed with it, really. Like, what he knew and how much he knew and how much he was purposefully encoding it into the, into his movies and to what extent he might have just been like, as an artist, like unconsciously aware of this kind of like. You know this this kind of like burgeoning uh, shadow of culture. You know that, that come, comes now to be called like conspiracy culture or whatever. You know it's just idea of completely distinct takes on history and man. But um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he was Jewish. <laughs> that's, that's the best I got. Really. <laughs> <laughs> who, who knows? Who knows? What what, what 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 you get told and when in certain families in certain contexts. I don't know. Yeah. And of course, there's always just Hollywood, you know, it's not, it's not just Kubrick, the whole industry seems kind of steeped in um, putting out this kind of messaging and symbolism. Did Um, you guys talk about I did I did listen to the episode, but um, uh, perhaps not uh, end to end. But did you guys talk about for room 451, the documentary about The Shining? No, no, we didn't get no, into that. Didn't. So there's 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 this uh, there's one of the analyses of The Shining is that it's an encoded confession that he did the, did the uh, fake moon landings, right? And oh. um, and there's this inc- it's it, it, it's it's not a hugely um, convincing uh, thesis, but it's got one hugely convincing moment, like, uh, and it's when Danny is in the the corridor. And is it, do I mean room five four five one? I think I've got the number wrong, right? Like whatever the room is in the in the shining, but uh, but he's not allowed to go in. And um, Danny is playing in the corridor in which this room sits, and he rolls the ball forward, or the ball rolls itself forward, and he's 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 playing with these toy cars on this like that famous hexagonal carpet, you know. And, room two thirty seven. Thank you. I don't know four five one comes up, and. Um, and he, uh, and when he stand, basically you can see the cars are arrayed around this kind of hexagonal pattern to to resemble a launch pad. And then when he stands up, he's wearing an Apollo Eleven jumper, 
with the rocket. So that the shot seems to show a rocket rising from this launch pad. And then he walks towards this room, which I think the film makes some kind of argument that it's the number is significant from the, the distance of the, the moon to the earth or something. And that this is like a, this, this dramatized moment, encoded dramatized moment of the, uh, of, the uh, of Apollo. And um, it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a really cool moment in an otherwise kind of slightly flaky theory. But uh, the, the, yeah, the, well, the question was that he was, sorry, what was that? Oh, well, I was just, I think the, the kid, Danny, is wear, wearing like a Apollo 11 sweatshirt or yes, something. Yes, that's right. Yeah, sure. yeah, 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 yeah. And this is uh, the, the whole thing. I don't know if it's supposed to be like that Kubrick is supposed to be um, the, the idea that he was in some way like figuring himself in, um, in, in Jack Nicholson's character, um, Johnny. Um, or, or what the what the overall hypothesis was for the film, but um, that, that it's there, like sewn into the texture of it, this kind of uh, confession that he did it, he did Apollo. So it was fun. Interesting. I didn't even know that was a conspiracy theory that he's literally the one who who filmed it or whatever. Yeah. Oh, really? Some, you didn't know fans, that? Oh, you, uh, no. uh, yeah, yeah. Like you didn't know about uh, what was it? Um, I was listening the other week to. Uh, uh, Bilderberg or something. You always. Uh, oh yeah, it's, all, it's, it's all new to Q. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> new to yeah don't you guys. I'm not. Uh, I'm not hopelessly into conspiracies. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Good for I, um, yeah. That's my deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's A's deal. <laughs> that's fascinating. I didn't realize that he was literally implicated. <laughs> People get upset about it because they say that the um, the the wave of the. Uh, Apollo landings were filmed was so ropey that they would never ascribe it to Kubrick. You know, he, was, he, was, he had too much class. He would never have made such a shocking kind of uh, failures in terms of the light and, and effects and such like. But um, you know, maybe he was trying to say something. You know, he was trying to he was trying to let everyone know. Yeah, and there's like <laughs> photos of him meeting with like Werner von Braun or Very somebody. Yeah. You know, NASA astronaut or uh scientists and stuff i guess you could say maybe he was consulting with them to make sure that 2001 was as realistic as possible but you know <laughs> yeah well room 237 i'm gonna watch that now yeah it's a laugh yeah yeah um, i mean i think um, i would just say i mean i think the the the, the one-two punch of uh 2001 and clockwork orange are pretty much you know, unbeaten by any director. You know, two films back to back that good. It's funny. I like his like one that like I feel like is people's least favorite one, which is Eyes Wide Shut. I like that. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's just because it's like I love Nicole Kidman. Um, maybe I think that one is a lot of people more like people of our generation find that one to be like the most accessible. I would say it's also more like uh, I think it's like maybe. Well, all his films are beautiful, but there's an element of eyes wide shut, like a wealth porn element. And maybe that's why I like live in New York. I want to have those apartments and stuff. <laughs> you want to have those parties. Yeah, I want to be that rich. Um, or I probably don't because I'd probably be an evil pedophile monster or something. There you go. You're not so different from Jeffrey Dahmer after all. <laughs> well, they would make me. They would make me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what A always. Well, you you have of. a choice, Q. Oh. 
Which then they kill free me. will. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I'd choose, I would probably choose death, I hope, over hurting a child. Um, that's interesting, though, that that's why he's so conspiracy coded. Yeah, I I don't I find his other films kind of hard to get through. Two thousand one, A Space Odyssey was the same thing. I I found it difficult to watch. Um, they're I, very long too. I will say that all his films are extremely long. Um, Eyes Wide Shut, I think, feels the most like a dream to me. You know, it would have been longer, famously, right? You heard this, but yeah, the lore is I don't know. a whole huge chunk of it disappeared between Kubrick's death and its release, right? And there's there's Ooh. speculation about what was in there. I mean, I, I don't know uh, how much credibility there is to it, but I think that somebody said, oh, we, there was a version that was two and a half hours, or, you know, something like that. And there was, by the time it came out, there was a big bit missing. And so there's an inevitable conspiratorial speculation about where it went and why it disappeared and whether, whether it had anything to do with his death. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a famously indiscernible film that gives you no answers, which is kind of like why the Tom Cruise character is so frustrated at the end. Like, you know, he gets no real closure, <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I haven't seen it for years. I might, I, might, I might watch it again this weekend. It's very fun to watch. It's his, it's his blue movie. Yeah. I've heard people say that. It has the blue tones. Um. I'm trying to think of other things that I... Oh, I guess I'll, I'll throw this in for the gay listeners. And hmm. the, I don't know how many people even make it to a minute, an hour and 13 minutes with us. But if you're still here, um, oh. I did think it had... You mentioned it earlier. I, I think it had... I do think it had homoerotic elements. Um, he's constantly uh, kind of like being lecherously looked at by older men. Yes, yes, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's like... I would say molested by his parole officer yeah, in that yeah. very weird scene. Uh, there's kind of a kind of menacing threat of older men around this sort of like beautiful youth thing going on. So there, there are kind of, and there's, there's a homoerotic element too, in the sense that I think, you know, he's performs these like gang, this gang rape with his uh, friends. And it almost seems like, the sexual act is more about him and his friends than it is about this poor woman, you know? So there's these kind of like, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I, it, that I felt like were kind of homoerotic about it. So I guess I just thought I would mention that there is some of that inserted into the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Bap homoeroticism. Basically. <laughs> yeah. There's a cavity search. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I have nothing else to say about it besides that it's present. I don't know if it really is supposed to mean anything, but you know, it's there. There is a there is a film on, on online by a quite quite famous kind of like meta film critic who was who who talks about the he think he thinks Kubrick was implying that Alex was molested as a child, and that uh, yeah, that that I, I so awful. I kind of got that that there was like a element of like yeah molest like some something wrong some sort of primal trauma in him mm -hmm. um it's interesting because that sort of motif shows up in eyes wide shut too because there's like the tom cruise is almost <laughs> i guess getting raped in that cult scene or whatever and then the woman sacrifices herself for him so there's like there is like a lecherous old man 
in both movies. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have any other thoughts? Do you have any other thoughts? A on <laughs> a Clockwork Orange? Um, not really. Um, you guys gonna go out and do some ultra violence tonight? Yeah, I'm gonna hit the streets for sure. <laughs> I'm definitely gonna oh, Google boy. what. Uh, I'm gonna Google what. Uh, what Lana, why Lana Del Rey named her album. I'm curious. I mean, maybe she's just a fan of the movie, but um, it does make me feel like Lana Del Rey CIA agent theories, which I have seen on Twitter. <laughs> maybe there is something to that if she's into this conspiracy shit. Um, I, yeah, I, I probably could go do some ultra violence tonight and get away with it if I went to the right protest, because I bet there's going to be some insane. <laughs> probably where you are too, eh? and where you are. We're all three in big, big cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I bet there's there's going to be some yeah. crazy shit happening tonight. We so. missed the day of jihad. Oh, we yeah. did. We did. I don't tweet. I'm. I. I. I am nervous to tweet anything about uh, Muslims because I, I don't want to get fatwaed. <laughs> you know. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No one wants to say anything against the Muslims. But Basil, <laughs> Basil, will protect us. Basil, <laughs> have a word. Calm him down. Yeah. Okay. He's got the Taliban on his side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We be like, oh, yeah? You want to cancel us, Muslim? We got the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we could call it if you guys want to. Sure. I know you have to go soon, eh? The, the... Yeah, yeah. I'm done. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Lovely talking to you. Thanks. Yeah, lovely for... talking to you always, KB, and get some rest. I know it's late for you. and. Thanks for having me, guys. Sorry, I walk around full of ideas about Clockwork Orange. You really uh, no, it was great. I I could I could listen to you talk about all day. Gates, I'm afraid. <laughs> sorry about that, fellas. Pleasure to talk to you as always. Thanks for having right. me. Right. Uh, you can find KB at Golden Toothed yeah. on uh, Twitter, and if you again made it this far, you can always find us on Substack. We always forget to say it at the top. We always forget to say it at the beginning, and this is like the part that I think no one ever hears. So there we go. That's that. Um, yeah, and we'll we'll talk to everyone soon. Bye. All right, guys. Take care. All right. See ya.